0: You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. How many of you have a relative that every time they tell a story, they just completely butcher it, right? They just always mess it up. They start to tell a story and then they get sidetracked by some related story, and they say, oh, that reminds me about this thing I've been meaning to tell you, and they tell you all about that, and they give you way too many details you don't even need to know about that, and then they look at you and say, what was I saying? What was I? Why was I telling you this, right? How many of you are that relative? You are that person that <laughs> doesn't want to tell stories like that. Um, when When John writes the story of Jesus' life, and that's what the Gospel of John is, it's the story of Jesus' life, and it's called Gospel because it's good news. When he sits down to write this story of Jesus' life, he has a ton of material to work with. In fact, in the very last verse of the Gospel of John, he says, Therefore, also many other things Jesus did in the witness of his disciples. And if I wrote about every one of them... I surmised that there would not be enough room in the world for all the books that could be written. And so Jesus' Jesus's life was so incredible, and there were so many things that could have been written about, that John says there in John 21, 25, that if I included them all, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit. Now, the reason that John had so much material and so much information that he referred to there in John 21, 25, was that he was Jesus' closest friend. Throughout the, the Gospel of John, he doesn't refer to himself by name because he wants the gospel to all be, the, the book to all be, all be about Jesus. And so he doesn't refer to himself much, and he f- talks of himself in the third person. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple that was near to Jesus. But we know from the other Gospel writers, the other ones that told the story of Jesus' life, that it was John. He was the one that was with Jesus in these moments and in these situations. And so because John was so close to Jesus, they were were tight and he knew more about Jesus than anybody else. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks down and he sees that all the other disciples are gone. They're nowhere to be found, but John is there. And Jesus sees John and he sees his mother. And he says to John, he says, behold your mother. He says to his mother, behold your son. And what he's done in his final moments of his life is he's made sure that someone's going to take care of mom. And he entrusts Mary, his mother, to John. So not only is John Jesus' closest friend, but then John takes Mary, the mother of Jesus, to be like his own mom. To care for her, to give her a place to live. And I am sure that Mary had a whole lot of information that she could have passed down to John. And if John had included everything that Mary told him about Jesus, the Gospel of John would start off with some of Jesus' first drawings, you know? Because some of you are that mom. Every time your kid brings home a paper from church or from school, you have to save it and file it away, and your fridge is covered with all of this stuff. And so John would have had all this information. He would have gotten so much more from Mary. But he knows that he has to... He has to communicate the story of Jesus in a way that people can understand. Here at our church, we've had the opportunity to do testimony videos of some of our, our saints, some of the people that have been a part of our church for a long time. And We did one with our founding pastor, Brother Helms, who told the story of how we were uh, started in the Newburgh Town Hall. We did one with Bob and June Scales, and they shared their story with the Higgs and the Alvises And... what's hard about that is I'll sit down with those people and we'll spend 45 minutes to an hour talking about all the things that God has done in their life. And that's difficult to fit that in. And then I've got to take those 45 minutes to an hour of video and I've got to edit it down to like five or eight minutes. And it is so hard to know what to include and what to edit out. It's so hard. And when John went to write his gospel... It would have been very difficult for him to narrow down exactly what it was that he was going to write to us about. But the way that he did it and giving us these 21 chapters about Jesus' life is he had a driving purpose from the very beginning. And that's what he gives us here in John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31. We're going to put those verses on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. What John did is he said, I'm going to focus on the signs that will lead you to believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. That's what John focused on. John focused on signs of Jesus as the Christ or the Son of God. And I want you to pay attention to that word signs. Because a sign points you in the direction that you need to go. I'm originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia, and when I travel back to Virginia by car to see my family, I literally take Interstate 64 the entire way. I catch 64 East in Linville, and I drive it 757 miles, and my parents live just one mile off of 64 in Virginia. I drive 64 East through Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky, West Virginia, and then all of Virginia, and then I get off where my parents live. That same road will take me all the way. And when I'm done with my visit there and it's time to come back home to Indiana, did you know that when I get on the interstate that there is no sign that says, this way to Daniel's house? There's not even a sign that says, this way to Chandler. Can you believe that? There's not even a sign for Chandler in Linville, okay? You just have to know, like, you get off at Linville and then you go to Chandler. But what it does tell me is that it's 64 West. And if I follow 64 West, it will take me home. The sign is not the destination, but it points me to the destination. And John, in his book, in his gospel, his good news of Jesus' life, he doesn't want us to just see that this is the incredible things that Jesus did, so we have this destination that Jesus did these great things. He wants these signs to point us To belief in Jesus. Verse 31 says, these, and he's still referring to sign, these are written, the ones that I have told you, I've written these because they will point you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And what John is telling us there in 2031, faith leads to life. Because if we'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then we will have life in his name. John wrote his gospel so that you could have life. And the way that he gets you there is to point to all of these signs in Jesus' life. So what's the first sign that he gives us? He gives us the sign that Jesus is the Christ. Now, maybe you have heard Jesus referred to as Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is not Jesus' full name like my name is Daniel Edwards. Jesus Christ is a title like my title is Pastor Daniel. It's an office, a status, a calling. And the word Christ is just the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. And all throughout the Old Testament, the Bible tells us about this coming Messiah. And the word Messiah literally means to run down or to spread out. And the reason they referred to as a Messiah or someone who was a called one with this term is because when they were anointed or chosen by God, a prophet or the people would come to them and they would pour oil over their head. And that oil would run down the side of their head onto their shoulders and onto their clothes. And that was a sign that they had been chosen. And in the Old Testament, there were three types of people that were typically anointed, with oil. They were kings, prophets, or priests. The king was called by God, chosen by God to lead his people into victorious, victorious battle over their enemies and to bring stability to the nation of Israel. The, the prophet of God was one who was to take the truth of God and proclaim it to the people. And a priest was one who worked among the people to draw them closer to God and help them experience forgiveness of their sins and cleansing of their unrighteousness so that they could have a a relationship with God. But every one of these prophets, priests, or kings in the Old Testament, they failed. Because even though there were kings that led the Israelites into some incredible victories in battle, no one was able to overcome the greatest foe of sin. Even though there were some prophets who did an incredible job of communicating the truth of God to the people, there was none who could explain fully, give an accurate demonstration or representation of who God was. And even though there were some priests that loved the people and worked among them and drawed people closer to God, none of them could restore a totally right relationship between God and the people. And so when John tells us that Jesus is the messiah i want you to notice that he doesn't tell us that he is a messiah he is not unanointed one he is the christ he is the messiah he is the anointed one and that's because he is the king of kings the prophet of prophets and the priest of priests he's come to do what no king could ever do what no prophet could ever communicate and what no priest could ever accomplish jesus is the final and ultimate fulfillment of the Anointed One. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the One. Now all throughout Scripture, beginning in the very beginning in Genesis, we've been told of this Messiah that's coming one day who will make everything right. And all of these foretellings of Jesus' arrival and the way that He will be born and the way that He will live and the way that He will die and the way that He will raise from the dead, all of them are prophecies that Jesus will fulfill. And each one of those prophecies shows that he truly is who he claims to be. When I moved here from Virginia to Indiana, I had to, make my, I had to move my driver's license from the state of Virginia to the state of India. And I had to prove that I am who I say that I am. And I could not believe the stuff that they wanted me to have to prove that. I had to have a birth certificate. Okay, that makes sense. Needed to have a social security card. Social security card if that makes sense. I went with those things. You know what they told me? I needed some junk mail. Some junk mail. How is the fact that someone wants to sell me a timeshare prove that I am Daniel Edwards? They wanted to see some computerized mail with my name on it. And I made several trips to the license branch to get my identity confirmed, and I just had to have four things. When Jesus arrives, he fulfills all of these. Prophecies, and scholars go back and forth exactly on exactly how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled because sometimes they break them down into multiple prophecies. They say this verse is actually the fulfillment of three different things, and then some of them say no, each one is its own thing. And so some of them say that he he fulfilled more than three hundred. Others say maybe between fifty and seventy-five. For me personally, I find that Jesus fulfills sixty-five prophecies from the Old Testament. He lives in the Mount. And I wish I had time to tell you all 65, but I don't. So I'm just going to tell you 40. (laughs) Jesus is the snake crusher from Genesis 3. He's the blessing of Abraham found in Genesis 12. He's the covenant of Isaac in Genesis 17. He's the offering of Jacob in Genesis 28. He's the unending reign of Judah. In Genesis 49, he's the spotless lamb spoke of in Exodus 12. He's the ultimate blood atonement for sin in Leviticus 17. He's the voice of God himself in Deuteronomy 18. He's the faithful priest of 1 Samuel 2, and he is the eternal king in David's line from 2 Samuel 7. He's the living redeemer that Job hoped for in Job 19. He's the humble servant of Psalm 8, the stronghold for the troubled in Psalm 9. He's the forsaken son, the thirsty, sacrificed, and the pierced savior of Psalm 22. He's the yielded spirit and abandoned friend of Psalm 31. He's the quiet defendant of Psalm 38. He's the righteous preacher of Psalm 40. He's the parable giver of Psalm 78. He's the life proclaimer in Psalm 118. He's the ignored preacher in Isaiah 6. He's the virgin son. In Isaiah 7. He's the stumbling block made into a cornerstone in Isaiah 9. He's the backwoods preacher in Isaiah 9. He's the hope of nations in Isaiah 11. He's the final authority in Isaiah 22. He's the conqueror of death in Isaiah 25. He's the miracle worker of Isaiah 35. He's the closing act of Isaiah 40. He's justice for all in Isaiah 42. He's the pour out of the Spirit in Isaiah 44. He's the mocked and beaten face of Isaiah 50. And he's the freer of the captives in Isaiah 61. He's the indestructible king of Daniel 7. He's the end of all sin in Daniel 9. He's the refugee out of Egypt in Hosea 11. He's the Bethlehem baby in Micah 5. He's the donkey riding king of Zechariah 9. And he is the betrayed friend of Zechariah 11. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And he has fulfilled all of these signs. That he is who he says that he is. But John doesn't stop there. Because John says, I have written these things that you might know that he is the Christ, the Son of God. The Christ, the Son of God. And what John wanted to be clear on is that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that's not when he came into existence, that wasn't the beginning of his story. So the very beginning of the book of John, in John chapter 1, he tells us that Jesus was in the beginning. He was the very expression of God in the creation of all things. And nothing that was made was made without him being present. You see, Jesus didn't come into existence in Bethlehem. He just came into life as a man in Bethlehem. He already existed. He came to be among us in Bethlehem. And so he's not just a man of God. He is God as a man. And that's important because he's not just the Messiah who is some good man, who is some good guy or good teacher who fulfills all of these prophecies about the Messiah. He is the very son of God who came to live out the prophecies and conquer sin for us. God came and he moved into our neighborhood. And so John wants to be clear. He is the Christ who fulfills all of these promises, who fulfills all of these prophecies. But he's not just a good man. He's the son of God. And so in John's gospel, throughout the book, he tells us these I am statements that Jesus makes. And these are so important. He tells us in John 6, I am the bread of life. He tells us, I am the light of the world. I am the gate for uh, for the sheep so that the sheep can come in and be with the shepherd. And I am that good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. And when Jesus makes each one of these I am statements, he's not just telling us something about himself. You know what? My kids say, I'm all the time. They say, I'm tired. I'm bored. I'm hungry. I'm starving. You know what that means? That's how they feel right then, in that moment. And give it a second and there'll be something else. that they I'm this. I'm that. When Jesus said, I am, he was using that to say, this is something that I have always been. And when God appeared to Moses and Moses said, who should I tell people that I've spoken with? He said, you tell them that the I am sent you. The I am. I have always been. I have always existed. And so Jesus is not saying I will be or I was. I am. And those I am statements, they live out today. So these are not only prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled that makes him the Christ, the Messiah. He's saying these things about himself that I am the living Bread. I am the vine. I am the shepherd. I am these things. I am the son of God. How many of you remember Tony Hawk, the skateboarder? Famous skateboarder, became just world famous when he was just a kid. Tony Hawk's older now. And he constantly lives out this scenario where people are like, This can't be Tony Hawk. And he tells the story about he was flying somewhere to do some skating competition and He walks into security, and he's showing them his license. It's got his picture and his name on it, and his boarding pass. And the guy looks at it, and he goes, huh, Tony Hawk, like the skateboarder. And Tony Hawk says, yeah, exactly, like the skateboarder. And the guy says, I wonder what that guy's up to. And Tony Hawk says, this. He's up to this. This is what he's doing. And all throughout his life, people are like, ah, that can't be Tony Hawk. Are you Tony Hawk's dad? Are you Tony Hawk's older brother? Because even though he's got ID, that shows that he is who he says that he is, people are like, I can't be him. And I'll be honest that if Tony Hawk walked in today and he's like, I'm Tony Hawk, here's my driver's license, I'm like, I'm not going to believe you until you do a kickflip. right? Until you can do a trick on a skateboard, that's when I will know that you are who you say that you are. And so John not only tells us that he is the Messiah and the Son of God and tells us that Jesus says he's the Son of God, John shows us he's the Son of God. And he gives us seven powerful miracles that Jesus does throughout this book. So in John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. John chapter 4, Jesus heals a sick child. John heals, or Jesus uh, heals a paralyzed man. Then he feeds the 5,000. He heals a blind man and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. But the final and seventh ultimate miracle that Jesus performs is he raises from the dead. He raises from the dead. And in John chapter 20, John tells us that some women come to see the tomb where Jesus is buried and they find it empty. So they go running to tell the disciples and they come and find John and Peter and they run to the tomb and John outruns Peter. He gets there. He doesn't want to walk in yet. Peter finally catches up and they go in he tells us there in the beginning of the chapter that they go in and in verse 8 he says that he sees the linen clothes laid out and then over on the side is the napkin that would have been wrapped around Jesus' head, folded and placed. And this is what John says about himself in verse 8. And I saw and I believed. Now the very next verse in verse 9 he says they did not yet know the scriptures to be fulfilled that he would raise from the dead on the third day. You know what John's telling us? John's telling us that in that moment when I saw that his body hadn't been taken, but he had risen from the dead, and he'd taken the linen clothes off, and he'd taken that napkin that was on his face, and he had folded it and placed it by itself. He says, when I saw that, I believed. And I didn't fully understand, but I believed. And it may be that you're here today and you hear us sing and you hear me yell about this and you're like, I don't understand what these people are so excited about. And I want you to know that you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. You know, I don't know how microwaves work. It kind of seems like magic to me, right? You take a cup of coffee that you forgot and it's cold and you stick it in there and you hit start because that just does 30 seconds and... That's magic in itself, right? You don't have to push all the numbers, and you hit start, and it microwaves it, and 30 seconds later, it's hot. And I don't know how that works, but I know it's hot. And some of you, you you've kind of doubted, because then you put that food or that drink to your mouth, and you're like, whoa, that's hot, like you're surprised that it's hot. <laughs> now, I don't know how the microwave works, but I know that It works. And when John saw the linen clothes laid out and he saw the napkin over there and he and Peter are standing there and they're looking at this, John didn't understand everything that was happening. But he believed. And it made all the difference. It made all the difference in the world. Years ago when I was, when I was much younger, I, I didn't understand everything that I've come to understand about God's word been my joy over these last several years to study and present God's word to groups of people like you and that is just that's a great privilege that I have and through that I've come to know a lot more about God's word and I've come to appreciate a lot more about books like the book of John but when I was just a boy and I didn't understand everything that I do now I believed and it made a difference in my life and you don't have to understand everything to believe in something and some of you right now, you don't understand how this is going to work out. Your life's a total wreck. It's an absolute mess. You know how I know? Because I'm your friend on Facebook. And you just put it all out there for us to see what's going on. Right? You're like, I don't understand how this is... What, what's going to happen? I can't tell you. I don't know. But here's what I do know. That when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God... But it points you home. It points you home. John said, I've written these things that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Now, when John says that, he's not saying that you will have life like your heart continues to beat or that your lungs continue to expand and contract and breathe air in and out. We know those are important elements of life, but that's not what he's talking about. What John's talking about here when he says that believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you might have life through his name, he's referring to life like we refer to it when we ask ourselves, what is the meaning of all this? What is the meaning of life? What am I doing with my life? Why is my life such a mess? He's referring to what we refer to when things are going well, and we say, This is the life, man. This is living. That's what he's talking about. I think that every one of us, if we're honest today, every one of us, if we look within our own hearts, every one of us has this sense, has this feeling that we're not really living, at least not life to the fullest. At least, not life as it's intended, that there's something missing. John said, I wrote this book. I wrote my gospel so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing, you might have life in His name. The thing that was really the kicker for John was when he walked into that empty tomb. And he saw that Jesus had risen from the dead. He says there, he says, I saw and I believed. You know what Jesus had done over the course of his life? Jesus had proven himself again and again and again and again to John. And John's faith had grown by following sign after sign after sign that brought him to this place where he believed and he had faith. When I was a when I was a kid, I had a, I had a friend who lived a few doors down from me in the neighborhood. And this kid, he just he just liked to lie. You ever known somebody that they just enjoy lying, so they lie just for no reason, because they like it. And he he would lie about everything. I mean he he would lie about People that he'd met, he would would lie about things he had done. When I was a kid, I had a go-kart. I loved that thing. I rode it all the time. And and he told me that he had a friend that lived two blocks away that had a racing go-kart that was twice as fast as my go-kart. And I was like, that sounds awesome. I want to meet that guy someday. And I was telling my dad about it, and my dad was like, I'm pretty sure that that doesn't exist. I think he's lying to you. I was like, nah, he wouldn't do that. And he's like, the next time he brings it up, just tell him you want to ride bikes over there and see it. I was like, that's a great idea because I want to see it. So we'll go over there and we'll see this fast go-kart. A couple days later, he's telling me about his friend who has this racing go-kart. And I'm like, man, let's go over there right now. Let's just ride our bikes over there and we'll see it. And he's like, oh, well, we can't because he's in Wisconsin with his grandma. and and You guys won't believe this, but that dude with the go-kart, he never came home. Like, he just never (laughs) was at home. If it was real, he could have showed it to me. What Jesus did is he showed John again and again and again. This is real. This is real. So John has this burden that other people could believe like he's believed. And so he writes his gospel and he tells us that the reason he's written it is so that we could believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing we could have life just like him. But if you understand what happens right before those verses, it really hits home for you. Because in John chapter 20, after John tells us about he and Peter going into the empty tomb and seeing that it's empty and seeing the grave closed there and believing, that after that they go back and they're with the disciples. And there were 11 disciples at this point and only 10 of them were there. Thomas was not there. I don't know where Thomas was. Maybe Thomas was stuck in traffic on the Lloyd. Something was keeping Thomas from being there. And Jesus appears to those 10 disciples. And then those disciples, they see Thomas later and they're like, Jesus is alive. We saw him. And Thomas says this. Thomas says, I don't believe you. Unless I see for myself. And this is what Thomas says. Unless I can put my finger in the nail holes in his hand. Unless I can put my hand in the gash in his side where they stuck him with the spear. I won't believe. And in God's just perfect sense of timing, Jesus shows up. Right as Thomas is making this statement. And Jesus says, here I am, Thomas. Here, touch me. Go ahead, put your, put your finger in the holes. There, go ahead, put your, put your hand in the gash in my side. And, and Thomas says, my Savior and my God. And Jesus responds to Thomas and says, Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. And that's John 20, 29. And the very next verse is... John's saying, and the reason I wrote to you is so that you could believe. So that like Thomas, you could see. Like Thomas, you could see what it is that God has done. And all throughout his gospel, John is telling us all of these incidents all of these things that have happened and he's giving us the name of where they've happened and he's given us the names of the people who saw him so you can go and ask for yourself and throughout scripture we have all of this evidence that jesus is who he says that he is that he is the messiah that he is the son of god and his final ultimate act of proving that is raising from the dead and we've got this empty tomb that shows that he he is who he says that he is And if we will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing in his name, we will have life. I so desperately want you to know the truth that is in John's Gospel because your life depends upon believing in Jesus. So what do you you mean my life depends on it? Am I sick? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you only have a month to live. What I am saying, though, is that all of us have a limited amount of time. Every one of us. And the only way that we can have life beyond the grave is by trusting in the one who overcame the grave. Your life depends upon believing in Jesus. And John has written his book so that you might believe. Given us 65 prophecies, seven claims of Jesus, and seven signs and wonders, all of which point us home to believing in Jesus. You know what the good thing about a sign is? It lets you know if you're headed home. and also lets you know if you're going in the wrong direction. My prayer has been that Easter for you would be a sign that you're not headed home. That you're not headed towards Jesus. You're headed away from Him. You're headed far away. You're not headed towards life. You're headed towards destruction. You're not headed towards peace. You're headed towards more chaos. And if you'll follow the signs, if you'll follow the signs, He'll lead you home. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?